All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 10, or Psalm 10, we'll do 10, 11, 12, and 13 this morning. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word and the worship time we've already had, the singing. Um, as we've expressed our heart to you and the things that were written in those songs are actually some of the things going on in our hearts. Lord, we appreciate David's worship leader um, desire that he, he has for his people. He wants people to uh, sing these songs. First of all, these are things he's experienced. But second of all, he knows it'll minister to them if he can take them from sorrow and despair to hope and victory. So as we study these, as we read these, Lord, um, help us to see the heart of the author here. Not only your heart, but David's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd say Psalms is probably my least favorite book, to be honest with you. You know, I always tell you, oh, these are great. These are great. Psalms, I've always been like, eh. It always seems fluffy to me, you know? If I want to read something, I go to Romans or I go to Acts or I go to Revelation, you know? And, you know. and so I just don't automatically go, let's, let's read a Psalm. And I say it like that because it just seems, I don't, need, I don't need that. What I need is someone to tell me what I'm doing wrong, you know, or... Or that it's going to be okay. And, or Paul, who just beats us up for no reason, just writes the books for it, you know, just to get us toughened up. And, this, you know, Peter, expect these trials to come upon you, you know. David's different. And so these Psalms are kind of special to me. Is this the, probably the, I think it's the first time I've taught them. Because um, it just has always seems a book that I haven't resisted, but it's not a go-to for me. Never has been. I appreciate them. I use them as cross-references all the time. And so in a sense, we've gone over some of it, but as I'm reading these, I forget, you know, David's, he was a king, he was a shepherd, he was a brother, he was a son. I mean, he had a lot of hats, but I, I, as I read these, I wonder if his most, his most prominent gift given to him by God was to be a worship leader. Um, a worship leader is a funny breed of, of, of people, um, there is sing along. That's easy. It honestly is, you know, karaoke at church, you know, here we go. Da, 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 da. You can watch the ball go along. We could all sing along. That's not worship. It's a completely different thing for the person to stand up here. It's weird. If you've ever stood up here to have these lights on you, it's a very strange experience because you feel like, well, you feel like you're in the spotlight and you kind of are four of them, you know, and and you just, anybody that guest teaches up here, they get up here and it's the first thing they do. Oh, can you turn those down or can I get it? No, the people need to see your face. So don't deal with it. Um, it's a strange experience for a worship leader to stand here and lead in worship, but worship themselves so as to disappear. And you guys don't see them anymore. And they, you guys begin to worship. It's a whole nother level other than sing along with the bouncing ball, you know kind of thing. And so I see David's heart in these Psalms as he writes these from his own experience. But a lot of us have these experiences, but we didn't write songs about it. You know, you didn't write them even down in your journal. A lot of times, a lot of these experiences you just kind of went through, you could remember them, but you didn't document them. You know, David has a worship leader's heart. I want to experience this walk with my Lord and the struggles that I've gone through and how he's brought me through these struggles. And I'm going to write a song so that I can take other people through these lyrics. 
You may have experienced this the very thing today. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. You may have gone through those things in your mind. David understands that because he has. He says, you know what? I'm going to write a song about it so that we can all sing about it together because we all go through, we all go through these things. Sometimes silently, sometimes on Facebook, you know. But sometimes we go through those moments. And David wants to take us from those moments of despair and frustration and why are things the way they are all the way through to, and then there's the Lord. And he switches gears. That's why he switches gears so often in his Psalms. In this Psalm 10, he's going to switch gears around 12, 13, and 14. He switches from the questions and the frustration that he's bringing to God to the answer, you know, so... That's where, we'll, that's where we'll start this morning. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And that's David's heart. Now, he's already experienced this, but now he has written a song. He's refined it. He's over it. But these are the first things that come to his mind. This is what I went through. And so he's going to take us through that as as well. I've had those thoughts. In in all appearances, as I look across, across this world, I see a lot of people getting ahead that probably shouldn't, you know, for the most part, as far as my judgment goes, you know. I see a lot of people that are getting rewarded for evil. And it bothers me. It bothers everybody that loves justice. It bothers every. It isn't always, sometimes it can be, it isn't always envy. You know, it isn't always me looking at somebody else saying, how come I don't have what they have? That isn't the case. Not always. Sometimes it can be. It's like, man, I want that. That's different. Sometimes it's just like, how? I don't care that that guy has it or that gal has it, but why does that guy have it? Or for whatever reason, he, he just is, everybody knows he's a creep, you know? And that's all David is saying. How come I'm looking across all these things? Now, I've got a theory. That means you could throw it out. That's why I say that. But in this particular Psalm, he doesn't say to the chief musician, I think that if you write a song and you can say in that song to the chief musician, you must be king. I think that's probably, because a lot of times people say, well, we think he wrote this during this time, or we think he wrote this during that time. I think when it says to the chief musician, he must be in a position where he can tell the chief musician what to do, in my opinion. So that's a theory I have. This one doesn't have that. This is something David maybe wrote earlier on in his life um, before he became king. There's a lot of frustration with the things of the world, the way it's going and how it seems like the greedy and the wicked seems to get away with it. God doesn't, you're not even thinking about you, God. Everybody else is, or there's other people that deserve it more. How come these guys are getting ahead? Verse five, his ways, these wicked people's ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He's not worried about his enemies. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. 
He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face, he will never see. And David knows that everybody thinks that way. David, it's interesting how he combines the imagery here to what goes on in the city, maybe, or in town, you know, as he hears about so-and-so got mugged, you know, after he came out of the hotel or the inn back then. He's always lying in wait. There's always someone hiding behind the garbage can. There's always someone looking to stab somebody and take their wallet or whatever, you know. But he likens it to what he sees out in the field. The crouching wolf over there, the crouching whatever, you know. He, he act, they act in town, these villains, these bad guys, they act just like the guys I'm trying to fight out here amongst the flock, you know. Fangs out, always lurking in the dark places, always being sneaky. And then he lists the names of the victims, and it's frustrating to David. He's always had this frustration. He grew up with this frustration. He looks at all these sheep. They don't do anything wrong. They're not bright. they get themselves into a lot of trouble. But for the most part, he sees himself as the barrier between them just having a peaceful existence eating grass and every other enemy out there that wants to either steal them away from him, devour them to come in and sneak in. They're helpless. They're hopeless. I am the guy. He sees that. And so he takes that same heart that he has for these animals and applies it to the nation of Israel. I don't like it when I see these weak people getting picked on. He hated oppression. He's going to say that several times in these these four Psalms. Oppression, oppression, oppression. It's just frustrating to him. Leave them alone. Don't pick on someone who's weaker than you and oppress them. It's wrong. Flat out wrong. I don't care who it is. Don't do it. You know, that's just righteousness. David has a heart after God. David loves the people like God loves the people. He was a man after God's own heart. When God looks down at us, and this is very important to to bring together, he has this psalm in mind. God looks down and says, you know, just leave them alone. Let people be. Quit trying to take advantage of everybody all the time. Quit trying to sneak, steal, kill, destroy to, to gain advantage. It's frustrating to God as it is to David. So now he switches gear. These wicked people think God isn't watching. They think he's hiding his face. And that is how uh, the worship leader here wants to take us to that place. We're also supposed to say, yeah, it does seem like that. So David switches gears for us to understand that's not true. Whatever you're thinking in your heart about these things, like I just wrote, isn't true. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief, to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. David brings hope to those people. He says, you may be one of these people that are fatherless. You may be one of these people that are uh, a humble person who doesn't doesn't try to make a lot of waves in this world, but feel that oppression from all the people around you. God sees you. David takes us in this song. God sees you. He knows. 
He's not blind to what's happening to you. He's taking note, he's observing, and he's going to repay. He's trying to encourage him in that. Verse 15 is a strong statement. You know, I don't know if I ever learned these kind of things when I grew up in the church, that our God would say something like that. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Well, God didn't say it. David did. No, no, I'm pretty sure that's how God feels about it too. It's what David is saying. He's asking God to break the arm of the wicked so that, and he probably doesn't mean just literally, although I don't think David cared if it was literal or not. But he also said, just break that grip. Break that strong grip that these wicked people have on all these poor, innocent people. Break it. And as David is writing this psalm, from his experience and his observation as he walks around and sees these things, not only in the field, but also what's going on in town. God is very interested in his songs. God is, one of, the, one of my favorite scriptures is God is, is looking to and fro across the earth. And he, and he wants to look, he wants to find someone who will stand in the gap, who will do what he wants to do. Not what they want to do in their own rage and anger and hope that God comes alongside of them. He wants someone who's looking to see what God wants to do. And if, if they'll be a part of it, God's plan, make themselves available. And so he's watching David write this psalm. He's like, ooh, I got a king here. I got someone who has a heart for Israel, regardless of their constant ability to get themselves into trouble like sheep constant inability to protect themselves from anything and always being focused on and attacked. I've got a guy here who has my kind of heart. He could be a king. He could be a shepherd to my people. He's a guy who won't leave the flock. God notices that. God notices that David puts himself in between harm's way and the people. Doesn't put the sheep in between him and harm's way. It's a wonderful attribute that David has. And God notices it. So as David's writing this, break the arm of the wicked. God's like, that's exactly what I'd love to do. I need someone who can be king and not add to the problems, but help take them away. You know, the Lord is king forever and ever. David always points people to the Lord, never to himself. The nations have perished out of his, out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth uh, may not be oppressed, or may, may oppress no more, excuse me, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. And that's how the person is supposed to end the song with David. With you have heard, you have seen, you do see what's wrong, you don't like it either. And that you're going to do something about it. And I stand in you, God, and I trust you, Lord, and I call you out to be king. He begins to praise and worship the Lord as opposed to complaining about his situation, which is how it starts. Frustrated with the world. It's an excellent song. I wish we knew the tune, you know. In Genesis 22, chapter 22, verses 21 through 24, God writes this. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Didn't learn that in Sunday school. Interesting character our God has. And I appreciate it. 
He's not saying that's what he wants to do. He's saying, don't think you're going to escape. If you think that's how you're going to live your life, by oppressing, finding widows and orphans and all these things to make your life better, your family better, to protect your kids, your wives, your little whatever, and you're going to let that happen over there, don't think I won't touch you, you know. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 in the prophets. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Learn that stuff. It's sad we have to learn it, but at least he tells us to. You know, you guys don't do this. I want you to learn to do this. I want you to learn to do good. I want you to seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Those are all action things that we can do every day. He calls us to that. Jeremiah chapter 7, another prophet, verses 5 through 7. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. The implication here is, though, if you don't, Amend your ways completely. If you don't exact justice, if you're not going to take my advice and do what I tell you to do here, then you won't live in that place. Don't think that you can get by with that. Since I'm watching all of this, David has a king's heart, even as a shepherd. His heart is, I am frustrated with the injustices that I see, and he feels an obligation to do something about it. And he does. I love that. Psalm 11. Now, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. My theory. He might be king at this point. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Please underline that, circle it, put an asterisk by it, whatever you need to do. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What do you stand on if the, if the foundations are destroyed? You've got to protect the foundations. The Lord in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. And that's another one that I circled in my Bible. He is righteous, and he loves righteousness. And his countenance looks upon those who are walking that way in uprightness. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for, he says. This is meant to encourage. This is a very short song. I don't know if they just sang it over and over again or if it was just a quick, you know, you know, campfire song or something like that. But he says, I want you to write this down. I want him to play it um, this way. Um, very special. What, what was he going through? I, I don't exactly know. Um, he says, somebody's given him advice to flee to the mountains. You need to run. So my guess is maybe Absalom. I don't know. It, it, it could have been before that too. And here's why, more speculation. Um, 
because he's awfully bold here. It seems like after Absalom, after Bathsheba, after that incident, David had his legs cut out from under him. You know, he just was never the same guy as he used to be. I mean, he's still king. He was still in authority, still loved the Lord, but just a broken, broken person, you know? This doesn't sound like that. So it sounds like it's before that. It sounds like a time when maybe, um, I mean, it could even be during a time when just some enemies were coming against Israel, you know, just some generic time. And, and, you know, as the king, you, you probably have this security detail that's constantly telling you, you need to go to the bunker. You need to go to the bunker. Like, I'm not going to run to the bunker. I invented the bunker, you know, and it wasn't for me. I'm the guy that ran out and killed Goliath. I'm not a bunker guy. Saul was a bunker guy. I'm not a bunker guy. And so David, I think, and that's my opinion, is, hey, there's trouble coming, David. King David, you must flee to the mountains. I'm not going to flee to the mountains. The wicked bend their bow. They're about ready to attack. They're going to shoot. No, no, no. We've got to defend the foundations. Um, That's what the righteous do. What can the righteous do? They can defend the foundations. That's what they're called to do. Um, And then he goes on to worship the Lord. The Lord sees all of this. He knows all this. He's there for all of this. He loves righteousness. He hates unrighteousness. And we're on the right side of things. I think that's one of the biggest problems we have as a country right now is nobody knows if they're on the right side or not. They just don't. I don't know if that's by design, probably, or not. But a lot of people wonder, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here or over there. It used to be pretty clear and simple, black and white. And it was when we just had the Bible. I just read the Bible and I do what God says. And if you're on the wrong side of the Bible, then you're on the wrong side of me. That's how David ran his life. He just lived that way. I don't care who you are as a politician. I don't care if you've got an R or a D. If you're on the right side of the Bible, you're with me and I'm with God. If you're on the wrong side of the Bible, then you're at odds with me and at odds with God. And that's how you know where to stand. Now, I'm, I'm not foolish. That ground that we stand upon, God's word, is going to be uh, populated by fewer and fewer people. Because we're going to want to be this team, and we're going to want to be this team, and they're going to want to be that team. And I'm just saying, hey, I don't know. I just want to trust the Bible. Well, you need to condemn that. I don't know that I want to condemn that yet. Because I see oppression. God hates it. I don't care who's doing it. God hates oppression. It's oppressive. God told the nation of Israel, who were oppressed for 400 years, whatever you do, don't oppress other people because you know what it's like. So I don't care if it's us oppressing people. I don't care what country oppresses people. Knock it off because it's God's way. I'm on God's side. I'm I'm his ambassador. My citizenship is in heaven. That's where I stand. When I die, I'm not going to America heaven. I'm not going to any country heaven. I'm going to the heaven. I'm going to be standing with my king and my Lord and my Savior, and that's where I stand. I need to do the right thing. So if you don't know where to stand or you're not sure where to stand, read the word of God and stand there. Stand upon it. Anybody opposed to Scripture, I'm opposed to. Always will be. It's God's word, and so is David. It's a great place to be. It's a safe place to be. It's, it, you can stand in confidence. The Lord is righteous. I want to be righteous. I want to love righteousness like he loves righteousness. And that means doing the right thing, being holy because he's holy. Psalm 12. To the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, 
Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. <laughs> I do a whole teaching on that. Godly. Just plain old godly. Just a godly person. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. It's nothing new to have that problem in this world. David looked around. He's like, where are the godly men? Where are the men that are godly? For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. So we're missing godly and faithful men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. That word double heart has a little one beside it. If you have a study Bible, the center column reference will tell you what they think it could also say. An inconsistent mind. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he hated the double-minded. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It kind of combines both, inconsistent, unstable mind. I've always had a struggle with that verse in James until this morning. Always. Like, am I asking with full faith or am I kind of wondering if God will really answer my prayer? I've always read it that way. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you, you better take it and do it. Don't get the wisdom from God that you ask and look back on it and say, eh, I don't know, that's, that's good advice, but I don't think it's right for my situation. That's a double-minded man. Someone who asks God, give me all the wisdom you have. Here you go, son. This is the right thing to do. That's eh, a little harsh. That's a double-minded man. That's what he's saying here. The whole earth is full of double-minded people, double-hearted people. And it's frustrating for David to look at. Can you imagine being the king, being in charge, being a leader, being a godly, faithful person, just trying to be the shepherd boy he's always been, you know? The fact that I got a gold crown on and I got people waiting on me hand and foot all day long. I mean, there's a lot of plush going on, a lot of problems, a lot of plush. For me to stay in that place of being honest and faithful to God, I'd like someone to stand with me. I can't find anybody, David says. I don't know who's going to stand with me. They're all double-minded. There's no godly. There's no faithful. Where are they? Now he's going to switch gears. Remember, he's writing a song. He's gone through this, but he's gone through this. Okay, so he's, he's gone through the frustration. He's gone through the difficulty, but there is, there's hope. He found hope as he went through this. So he's helping us as we sing this psalm, sort of, to have that hope because we're wondering where the godly and faithful people are. Why is everybody double-hearted? Why are they inconsistent in their mind? How come they're double-minded and they don't take God's wisdom for what it is? He says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That's been a human problem from the beginning. Genesis had the same problem. If you haven't, uh, where's Carla? Carla, when you share that from Josh Blevins, that little thing that he did, wasn't that excellent? Did such a nice job. Um, Josh Blevins is the pastor of Grace Calvary Chapel down in St. Joe. He did such a nice job sharing um, well, just on this topic, and I'll give you what stuck out to me the most 
was that this has always been a constant problem of man trying to rule themselves. That's exactly what Satan did in the garden, was try to convince Adam and Eve, you know, you don't need him. You can have wisdom too. You can have the knowledge of good and evil and run this all on your own. You don't have to worship him. I don't know. I don't think that's right. And they, they bought it. Then you had the Tower of Babel, same problem. We're going to build a tower into the heavens and we're going to do this on our own. We're going to, we don't need God. Shake our fist at the Lord. We can rule this place under our own authority. We don't need any help from above. And we're going through the same thing right now. And many other times up until this point, but right now in human history, we're going through this right now. The entire world is getting rid of God. They are setting it up to build whatever pyramid they want to build, man-made technological pyramid. And they're going to stand on it and say, we don't need you. We've got utopia. Who needs heaven? We're doing it right now. It's the same problem. David simply says, would you just cut off all the flattering lips, the tongues that are speaking proud things? With our tongues, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Would you just knock all that speak off? You know, tell them to quit. You know, it's that simple in our lives. I don't have to literally cut my lips off. I can just stop flattering people. I can encourage people and compliment people. That's a whole different thing. Let another man's lips praise you. We're commanded to do that, called to do that. Not your own lips, but let somebody else look upon your life and say, you know what I see? That's amazing. Good for you. We are to encourage one another. Flattery is a whole other thing. Just knock off the flattery. If there's not something good to say about them, don't make it up. Well, you know, that's a great hat, Kevin. I mean, you know. Sorry, I had to pick on you. He's like, what I do? <laughs> we don't have to make stuff up. We can actually compliment him. It's a great doctor. Can hit the good stuff. We don't have to make stuff up about him, you know? So David just says, can we just stop with the flattery? Can we stop talking about being prideful about these things? Yeah, I'm not going to go there. But we have to be careful about our heroes in this world. And we've got them. And they're right. And, and they do a lot of things that are correct. But, but when, I, when, when we hear the proud heart come out, it's not right. Even if it's your hero. It's not appropriate. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a quick way down, as a matter of fact. Um, we need to stop those proud tongues, and that we can do this on our own. No, you really can't. Verse five, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. When we begin to exalt the vileness that goes on in our country or in this world, we make an environment that's designed for prowlers. Boy, I wish we didn't have all this human trafficking and all these terrible things happening to children all over the world. We've made an environment for that. We've made it a beautiful growth environment for that. We can't do that. We cannot exalt vileness and not expect us to have prowling things. I, 
I keep saying to myself, you know, as a parent, you're, you're too strict. Don't you remember riding your bike all the way downtown in Sioux City, Iowa, 75,000 people? I'd ride, ride three and a half miles, my little BMX bike, just so I can go to the pawn shop, which there was like one in town of that back then. Now they're on every corner, it seems like, to see the Chinese stars that they had in there. I remember doing this. Where are you going? It's a Saturday. You know, they open at noon. And I just sit there and stare. I said, can I hold that? He says, you're going to buy it? I don't have any money. He said, no, you can't hold it. I'm like, I just stare at these Chinese stars. Seems silly, but my life was free like that. I just ride my bike. I could just go do that. And, and JD, you're just, you're just, you're just, you got old, you know, you're just overly protective and you're just, I don't think so. I think it's different. I think it's different. And I don't think it's just my mind. I think it's weirder out there. I think there's a lot more prowling out there than there was when I was a kid. I mean, I think maybe there wasn't. I mean, maybe there were guys trailing me in their car trying to get me in with candy and puppies and stuff like that. I don't remember them. If that had ever happened to us, well, first we'd laugh, but I mean, because nobody's that, you know, we wouldn't buy it, but I don't ever remember that kind of, I never had always neighbors looking out for us. Always just, it's just this constant, no matter where you went, that the adult was safe, no matter where we went. Always. Never even thought about it. That's not the case anymore, I don't think. We've made an environment for there to be prowlers everywhere. So we need to change the environment, in my opinion. Change it. Psalm 13. No, yeah, to the chief musician. Okay. He has four how longs. And this is the frustration David has experienced in his life, and he changes gear in verse 5. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David knows that God hasn't forgotten him now, but at the moment when you're going through it, it's like, ah, I feel forgotten. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Help me see what's going on here, because as far as I'm concerned, I feel like how long, how long, how long? I'm impatient. I'm tired of waiting. It doesn't feel like this is ever going to come to an end. I want to know how much longer until you step up and do what you say you do. And that's David's heart. It sounds a lot like Job, doesn't it? A lot. Except David is just point blank asking him. He doesn't talk to his friends about the Lord and all that. He says, okay, God, it's you and me. I'm tired of talking to myself in my own heart. I'm tired of taking my own counsel. I'm, trying to try, I'm tired of trying to figure this out on my own. Ever get tired of that? And so he writes it down for all of us. How long, how long, how long? Open my eyes so that I can see. In John chapter 20, verses 27 through 28, Jesus has uh, risen, but not ascended yet from the grave. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas's eyes were opened. Thomas is in this place right here of Psalm 13. My Savior's dead, the love of my life, the man who changed my life, the man I followed for three and a half years. He's dead. You say he's alive? I'm not going to believe it till I see him. And Jesus shows up and says, I want you to believe. Stop being unbelieving. I want you to believe. He opened Thomas's eyes and his eyes were open and his whole thing, everything changed. Nothing changed. Get it? 
But everything changed for Thomas. Nothing. The circumstances were exactly the same. He went from unbelieving to believing and everything changed for Thomas. Oh my goodness, it's all true. You weren't lying. You didn't abandon us. You are God. Whoa. That's exactly what he says. You are my Lord. I mean, you were before. You're my rabbi, but not like this. And you're my God. You're on earth. He's staring, looking at the face of God. Thomas's eyes were opened. We all need that. Every human being needs this moment where it doesn't go from theoretical that you waffle back and forth. You're kind of double-minded about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think so. I don't know. They could be right. I mean, we can't be too narrow-minded, but I don't know. There's no other, that walk that we have to finally having that Thomas experience where you open your eyes and say, my Lord, my God, and there is no other. Everything's a lie other than Jesus Christ. Every other path is wrong. He's the only way. I'm, I see it, you know. I love this moment. In John chapter 20, verses, oh, geez, I wrote it twice. <laughs> it's that important. Read it again. I don't know. Sorry. Verse 5, and then we close. But I have trusted in your mercy. Okay, how long, how long, how long, how long? Enlighten my eyes. I don't want to be this way anymore. But... Here's the change. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Gets his eyes off of the things that God isn't taking care of and focuses on the things that God has and is. God is interested in this. He's interested in this. He's just not working on this right now. This is something that I'm going through with God. But over here, I've got this bountiful experience with God in the past that showed me all the things he's ever done. And I look at those things and I think, oh, forgive me for complaining about the, you know, seven things over here and not the 5,000 things over here, you know. And I worship him for that. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful songs that this worship leader wrote. What a heart leading the entire nation in worship songs to their God from his own experiences. Um, I don't know that any of us will be, you know, to this level, but we could probably write our own songs about you. And Lord, help us to do that. Help us to take our experiences that we've gone through from despair, but then help other people to go from that same despair to the hope that we've discovered in you. And we can't do that, Lord, unless we come to that hope. So wherever we are right now, if we're in the beginning of any of these songs, lost, confused, questioning. God, would you take us to the second half of these Psalms so we can see the truth, so our eyes can be open, so we can be believing and not unbelieving, God. That's our heart. So, so that when we learn this, we can take other people through this and show them that the hope that they have. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you need prayer, please come up. I'd be glad to pray with you.